So like I said, we are continuing the series, Hope for Everyone. And I'm excited about it because I find this time of year to have a lot of hope. I enjoy the season. I enjoy hanging out with my family, friends, and just eating lots of cookies and things like that as well. And then there'll be a day when I watch my kids open their gifts, and that'd be pretty cool too. But under this series, we know that God's love and the love of Jesus and the life of Jesus brought us that hope. And no matter what your situation is or circumstances, that hope is there for you. And that God brings our life purpose if we allow him to. And it can be extraordinary. It could be unexpected. It could be great if we allow him to. So I find it interesting how you can take something and repurpose it and make it into something else. And it becomes greater or better than it was before. Just for instance, this. Anybody have one of these at home? Maybe several of them Frisbee. All right, Jeff plays with those. The thing about it, too, is if you do go and get a uh, kid's lunch over at Monk's, you can get a free Frisbee. They give you one as well. But the interesting thing is that it didn't start out as on the right, that plastic Frisbee. It started out, um, and we'll just tell you a little bit about it. The Frisbee was created by a man named William Russell Frisbee around 150 years ago. The thing about it was in Connecticut, and he was a pie maker, and he had great pies, but he used this real thin tin to be able to serve his pies on. Well, some college kids got a, got a hold of it and started throwing it around and catching it and made a game out of it to the point it became what it is today through the Whammo company, the Frisbee. So no longer is he making pies, of course he's gone, but he had great pies, but now he's still known, or is still known for the Frisbee. It looks like there's around 200 million of those sold. So that's quite a few. The next thing is, you might recognize this, you probably use it, or you may have gotten something in the mail with it. It's called bubble wrap. And believe it or not, it was invented in 1957 by two guys, Alfred Fielding and Mark Chavanis in New Jersey. And they were, they were actually like just engineers. And they took two plastic curtains together, and they actually formed a uh, smattering of air bubbles to make what they called bubble wrap but it was intentionally used for wallpaper. But it never took off as wallpaper. And IBM picked it up and started using it to wrap up all of their mainframe computers and send them around the world. And now we know it as bubble wrap, which is basically packaging material, not any longer as wallpaper. You can try it on your walls. It'd be interesting as well. The third thing is what we call the duct tape. At the time, it was D-U-C-K, like a duck. And this was actually used, and you want to turn to that one, uh, the words. It was used in the military, and it was developed by them in the military to keep moisture out of their tents, or actually out of their ammunition cases. But the soldiers started taking it and using it to wrap up, uh, you know, put holes, uh, cover holes in their tents. They were also using it to uh, fix their guns, vehicles, countless other things. But it was no, it's no longer just for the Army Green or for the Army. It is actually now called Duck, D-U-C-T, tape. And it's used in our homes. A lot of you might see it silver. It could be in here somewhere. Duck works. They wrap it for ducking. But now they do it in multiple colors because you use it in your home. There's all kinds of patterns. Uh, you'll see kids at school probably have their shoes tied up with it or armbands, things like that. But it was actually uh, Richard Drew in Minnesota, uh, mining and manufacturing company, St. Paul. He took it in 1920 and started developing it for a household use. And now, you know, the company is 3M. So it's kind of interesting how that exploded that way. And finally... One of these nice things that you probably used this morning when you made breakfast, or maybe not. 
but you probably used it yesterday at some time, or you probably went to some place to eat and they might have warmed your food up in it. You really don't want that. But if they did, it's been used, but it is the microwave. And uh, the thing about it is that it was used uh, back in World War II. And the thing about it, two British scientists developed it as what they called the magnetron. It was actually a tube that produced microwaves, and it was used to watch over, try to identify or spot enemy warplanes as they would try to come over and bomb Britain. Later on, Percy Spencer developed it into what they call the Rata Range, in 1946. It was kind of interesting that as he was developing it, when he was using it, it would melt chocolate in his pocket, and then he realized it was used for heating things up. And now, of course, you can heat up your popcorn, anything else, and it's probably in about 95% of our homes and being used. So these things found repurposed, which is kind of neat. You know, they had a plan and they changed it, and that plan basically was to have it one type of product. It was structured for one thing and now it changed to something else. So we can always have what we call our plan A. I had a plan A when I was a young man. I finished high school and I graduated, got my diploma, whoo and I thought, great, now it's time to go on and get a job. Back in the days, we wasn't always looking at college. So when I got home, my plan A was sitting on the kitchen table. It was an application to Inland Steel Mill in East Chicago, Indiana. And basically, I filled that out, and my dad took it in, and because he worked there, and he made a good living at it, my two older brothers worked there, and they didn't complain. They seemed to like it as well, and my sister worked at the credit union. So it was kind of interesting that all of us worked there, so we should call it Inland and Glassford because there were so many. Then my two younger brothers ended up there too, so you can see how already everything was, hey, this is the best place because dad did it, now we're going to do it. But... God's plan A for my life was different, or his plan B. And even though that um, I knew what plan A was, and I thought that that's what's going to happen with my life, he had other plans. So we're going to talk about that later. So just stay tuned. Again, yeah, please stay tuned. Don't, don't fall asleep on me. But the point of this is today is we continue the Christmas series, Hope for Everyone. And again, that's a great word, hope. Jesus is our great hope, that we know one day he'll return. Christmas season also is called what we call the Advent. Dan had introduced it last week, and I get to add on to it this week. It's a season of hope and expectations. And sometimes we may not see it that way, we may not think about it that way. But as the first Christmas season approached for Israel, the people of Israel, they waited, they hoped, they anticipated. They knew that all that time for hundreds of years that there was going to be that Messiah, that, that what God had said would come to pass. And that what Israel, Israel uh, Isaiah said, that there would be a Savior born of a virgin. And along that was a hope that, and wonder that God's promise and when it would come true and how it would come true. Come true. But many of the people may have lost that hope. Maybe they lost that Christmas season. Maybe they didn't think about it. They thought it would never happen. Maybe some of us feel that way too. But God doesn't lie. He has a plan. Sometimes maybe in our life we thought at that point too that, hey, things turned out differently than what we thought it would be. That we had anticipated that, hey, I'd probably be in the steel mill for the rest of my life, but it had changed. Or that my plan A would come to pass, or plan B or C, or even other plans up to Q, or maybe even Z, hopefully not. But anyways, that's a long list, 26. So, But we're going to look at the life of Mary, the mother of Jesus. And she basically had her life turned from her plan A to plan B. So 
We're going to look at that today. She was raised, you know, she, if you want to, you can raise your hand and say, hey, you know what, that has changed. Just like her, my life changed, her life changed. And we're going to look at that in Luke chapter 1. Mary's plan A probably was involving kids. You know, first getting proposed to, getting married, have kids, have a life, live her life with Joseph. But it says in the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth. Remember the same Gabriel that came in and spoke to Zechariah last week? Well, he shows up six months later in the town of Galilee at Nazareth to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. All these things are important because the town of Nazareth wasn't very big. It was like 100 to 200 people. It was very small. Everybody knew everybody. Everybody was kind of related because if you married the parents, you married... Uh, your spouse would go with you to your parents' house and help take care of them and bring money in and work, and that whole family would be together. So it was interesting that they had such a large family. But today, that city is like, I think, 77,000 or more people. So it has grown in the last 2,000 years. It's been a long time, but it has grown as well. But God had another plan for Mary. And it says here, the virgin's name was Mary, the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. So if you think about the ancient culture, it was a very big honor to stay a virgin. And they actually married young. They got engaged maybe at 12 or 13 years old and probably were married at 14, maybe even younger. So to think about junior high and see these young people, my daughter's eight. can imagine in four years she'd be engaged, you know, and they're married in five years. But that's how they were because they matured. They definitely didn't give their license out at that age either, so as well. But in that culture, many of them lived as a good girl. Mary lived as a good girl. And she was esteemed by her friends, just like everyone else. They wanted to have that privilege, that pride. They wanted to be somebody known for somebody who saved themselves for the right person. But Mary ended up with a plan B. Her plan A was Joseph. Her plan A was this type of life. This is what I want. I got engaged, and when she got engaged, that's basically a commitment to marriage. And to get out of that engagement back then, you had to be divorced. But Mary, the mother of uh, Jesus, who would have been a woman out of wedlock, basically, you know, her only alibi would have been, hey, I was filled with the Holy Spirit. That's where the child came from. Uh, imagine that, though. Would you have believed her story? I mean, if you went on Facebook now and somebody said, hey, I have immaculate conception. I think there's a few out there. But anyways, would you really believe them? You'd wonder, okay, yeah, I think it only happens once in a life forever. And that's what, but how could she go around and tell people that? Who would believe her story? What kind of person would be that? Who would think that? It would be scandalous. It would be scary and pretty much maybe not believed. It was to the point that she also wondered, what about my, you know, what, what's going to happen to me? If we applied the letter of the law back then, she could have been stoned for her adultery. And that's what it was considered, because she was engaged, even though it was like a marriage, she could have been stoned. And it happens still in that culture today, from what I understand. You know, that's a dangerous thing. Think about the plan that she had. It wasn't dangerous. It was an ordinary life. It was great. I was going to have a man who loves me. I'm engaged already. We're going to go ahead and be together and, he, you know, and have a, a life spent with our children and that. That was her plan, and it was Joseph. But we read in Luke 29, 129, Mary was greatly troubled. So here's this angel who shows up 
in a place that she's at. And he must be like a man. I mean, think when he showed up for Zechariah, he recognized him as an angel because he was in a holy place and you can't be in there without being struck dead. But in this case, it was like a man who showed up and said, you know, hey, greetings. And, you know, no man usually talks to women at that age, especially if they're in spouse to somebody else or, or, or given to someone else. But Mary is greatly troubled by his words and wondered what kind of greeting this was to be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. We've heard that before. Don't be afraid. You have found favor with God. You'll be with child and give birth to a son, and you'll give him the name Jesus. He will be great and be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. So an ancient angel came to her and said, Hey, you're going to be with a child, and you're going to name him Jesus. Could you imagine that? Well, somebody came to you and said, Hey, sorry, Marie, but you're going to have another. <laughs> He'll be like, Wow. But the point is, is that, you know, how can she argue with that? What can she do? She had to leave her plan A and go to plan B. And sometimes in our own life that we see that, that, hey, this is the plan. This is the way things are going. It's working out fine. But all of a sudden, God says, hey, what about my plan for you? What about plan B as well? So at that moment, Mary had to wonder, what was Joseph going to do? Would he stay with her? Or basically, he probably figured, she figured that it was over or that he wouldn't stay with her. And even in Matthew 1, it says that Joseph, he did not want to disgrace her in public because he loved her that much. He was going to divorce her privately. So he had already found out, apparently, and he already had plans to do what he wanted before the angel came to see him. And I suppose we'll be hearing about that later. So I don't want to spoil her. I don't want to do a spoiler like my friend told me all about the uh, Back to the Future movie. So when I watched it, I was bored because I knew everything. So don't do that. But I won't do that. So at that moment, Mary had to decide, you know, what's going to happen? If he doesn't stay engaged to her, if he lets her, he divorces her, she'll now be a single mom out there. And there may not be work for her if people didn't trust her or didn't believe in her. Can you imagine the news for Nazareth? Hey, Mary's pregnant, but it may not be Joseph's. Or, you know, a small town, word gets around. Hey, she, who, whose kid is she? You know, whose kid does she have? Who is she with? You know, it would get around to that point. And that's why I think also that she left, the Bible says later that she left to go visit her cousin. But she also would find shame and disgrace in that. And again, she could have been stoned. But we find in Luke 1 that Mary responds differently. She does ask, how will this be? Uh, Mary said to the angel, since I'm a virgin, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will shadow, overshadow you so the Holy One will be born Will, uh, born, will be called the Son of God. So in Zacharias's case, he doubted. Hey, I'm old. My wife's old. Uh, that ain't going to happen. But the agent, angel said, it will. And now you won't speak. Mary didn't really come up with doubt. She just said, how will you make this happen? She had faith. How can this, I know it's going to happen because in the Bible it said that there will be one born of a virgin. How will this happen? And he explained to her through the Holy Spirit. So we need to remember that although Mary was hearing from God and she also was knowing that it was God's will, she didn't have a script. She didn't have the Bible. She didn't say, hey, what's my line? I, 
I forgot, or can we do a do-over on the taping? No, she didn't have any of that. She had to respond with what her instinct and what her heart says. That's what we need to do sometimes. When God calls, how do we respond? With doubt? Wondering, okay, is this really of God? Is he going to do it? Or are we going to start like Mary and have faith and say, yes, Lord. So she didn't have that script. She didn't know how the story ended. And we don't always know how it ends, is that We can only know what we've learned in our past from our lives. But what do we learn in the future? My dad used to always quote, he'd say, today is the first day of the rest of your life. And he got it from a man named Charles Dietrich. But he said that to a purpose for me because he knew that I was kind of spinning out of control or I was frustrated or I was angry or I was upset or I was unhappy and I didn't have purpose. But he would remind me that, Mike, you can start over. You don't have to just take what you've had and live with it and feel sorry for yourself. You can move forward. So Mary would have all these questions, just like we do today. What does God have? What is his purpose? So the plan B was not that she was going to come in a limo to a five-star hotel and have the baby and have everything all set up for her. It wasn't like that. She basically came in on a donkey to a, a manger and had her child. So as you can say, they were not wealthy. They were basically in that time peasants, poor farmers, and uh, most of them, even including Joseph, probably went somewhere else or a different city for work. And if you know they went up to go sacrifice, they didn't sacrifice the lambs and the sheep and the goats like everyone else. They bought doves. And doves was at least a sign, a sign of poverty, but it was also that they could afford those to be able to sacrifice. So knowing those things and knowing that culture and that, you know, Mary had her choice. And she made that. So we look also in Luke 1.36. Even Elizabeth, this is what the angel said, your relative is going to have a child in her old age. And we learned about that last week. And she, who said to be, said to be barren in her sixth month, so basically Elizabeth went somewhere as well to have her child. For nothing is impossible with God. I mean, think about it. Nothing is impossible with God. What's the first word when something happens? Oh, it's impossible. I mean, sometimes we say that. Oh, it'll never happen. Well, if it happens, it won't happen to me. We were just joking around too, and we just said, you know, if we have any luck, if it's bad luck, it's at least it's some kind of luck, right? You know? Uh, for the point is, is that it doesn't have to be that, because nothing's impossible with God. And she said, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me, as you have said. Then the angel left her. Mary chose yes. She chose God's plan B for her life. She let the rest of it go out the window because it won't change. It's irreversible. It isn't going to change. But she found that hope in that. She had hope for everyone, like we talk about. So she responded with, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. How many of you said that to the Lord today? Hey, I'm your servant. Whatever you want me to do. Well, I want you to go across town and go pray for this person. Or I want you to go give some food to somebody. Or I want you to go and help somebody or visit or call or do this. Am I the Lord's servant or am I my servant? To say, well, you know, I'm kind of busy. Or I've kind of got things planned. It doesn't fit in my schedule. It doesn't fit in my lifestyle. It doesn't fit how I want it. So, but Mary responded with this. It is remarkable to think, though, the courage that she had to have somebody show up and say that to her. 
If somebody came to your door and knocked on the door and said, hey, the Lord wants you to move to Madison, Wisconsin, and uh, start a church, not just one, maybe ten, what would you say, I'm the Lord's servant? Or I think you, I think you want the guy next door, you know, or you know, the guy down the street. No, we may not say that, but somebody did. And that's why we're here today, because he followed the call. But the thing about it is that Mary had faith, and her faith brought that grace. And people may worship her and think that they bring, she brings faith and grace to them. It's not true. You don't pray to Mary for faith and grace, but what you do is see her example, how she stood in faith, and that faith created what we have today, our salvation that grace that we can live with now. How did that young, ordinary, young woman have the strength to say that, even though she knew the scriptures? Is because if we go back and look in the beginning, what did Gabriel say to her when he first met her? He said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. You who are highly favored. How many feel favored today? How many feel the Lord's with you? I mean, you feel like you don't have any favor with anybody or anything. Well, she knew that, that God was talking to her. Mary says yes to God because she did have that favor. You can say yes to God because you have favor. She put her hope in the Lord and not in herself. She focused not on what was lost, but what is going to be gained. She said yes to the plan B because she knew it was of God. It was right. Aren't you glad she did? She did, we wouldn't be here today doing this. We might be doing some other things that is not of God, and we wouldn't have eternity with him or salvation. So when we choose to trust in him ourselves, remarkable things can happen. Mary's plan A of that ordinary life, it went out the window, but plan B was extraordinary. Just like these repurposed of all these things that we talked about, the duck tape and the bubble wrap and the microwaves and all that, they were purposed, and now they're doing a greater good and a greater uh, cause, just like we can. So think about that. If those things can be repurposed and changed and made into something better, why can't our lives? Why can't God count on us to do the things he wants us to and give us his plan B? Plan B gave birth to unexpected purpose. We should allow that in our lives. So think about it. When twists and turns and things and bad things or even sometimes good things come our way, how do we react to it? Do we react in a good way? Do we react in the right way? Or do we feel that we made too many bad decisions and it's made us to screw up to the point that we can't change it or we're not good enough or we made, we're not, you know, we're not smart enough, we're not good enough, we failed. All these feelings that come in, are we allowing those to continue to what we feel is our plan? C, D, E, F, and G? Or are we going to look at God and say, what is your plan? Or do we blame others? Sometimes we can do that. Are we blaming ourselves or now are we blaming someone else? Hey, somebody threw me under the bus today. Somebody also, pretty much my plan A went out the window. You know, I grew up in a home with addiction, with alcoholism, with abuse, with divorce. It wasn't what I chose. All of us didn't choose to be in those families. We might have ended up in there. But are we blaming that so that we don't move forward and have a better life, that we don't choose what God has because we're still living in yesterday? Today is the first day of the rest of your life. Or are we working, we work towards our marriage, trying to make it the best marriage we can, and it still failed, still end up losing it? Or do we not 
get that promotion even though with the hardest and the best worker, they should have gave it to me and someone else got it. Are we blaming all those things for how we are today and what we found today? If we are, we don't have to. We don't have to. But if we look deep down inside and not feel like we deserve what we get, oh, this is it's, it's because of my lot in life, or I deserve this, or that's who I am, or I don't get, I don't deserve any more than that, then it's easy to let the plan B defeat you. So if you let plan B define you or defeat you, then you may not follow God or follow that plan. But you could take another choice and let plan B develop you, make you into somebody better, stronger, more powerful for God as well. So when plan A goes out the window, don't let it do that. Don't let it defeat you. Let it develop you. Just think about Moses when he tried to deliver the children of Israel, when he found out that he was an Israelite. What did he do? He killed an Egyptian, buried him in the sand, said, I'm your conqueror. Well, after he found out that they knew that, he fled, didn't he? And then he met God in the wilderness or in the desert and found his plan B. He met him at a burning bush and he did deliver his, the children of Israel. Or Joseph, when he was thrown in a hole by his brothers and later on sold into captivity in Egypt. That wasn't his plan A. I'm sure it wasn't. But plan B came up that he basically found favor, even though he was thrown in jail for being accused of adultery, which he didn't do, he still never let go of God's plan for his life. And that plan B gave him the point of having favor with Pharaoh and also taking care of the Egyptians as well as his family, who had been in famine and who would have perished. So Moses, Mary, Joseph, all of those, and there's countless others in the Bible, if we look at it, if you read, they give you encourage because their lives were plan A, what they thought. But then they stepped into the realm and let God give them their plan B, his plan B, and then the miraculous happened. So God's plan B for my life, like I said, was I thought the steel mill was my life. And then I got saved, and then I started serving Jesus, and I started seeing that God had a different plan for me. And his plan B was for me to be up here today. But before that, I went to Bible school, started the ministry, was there 10 years, felt that that was in God's plan, and it was. But I lost sight of that. I started working in a regular job because I needed money to live. But I also started getting promoted, and pretty soon that became my career of leadership and managing for 30 years. And my plan B became my plan C. His plan B was my plan C, D, and F, and so on. But I believe that God still never lets go of your plan B. I believe that he's encouraging you as he encouraged me to come back and find a church like this so that I can start back in my plan B and get in the will of God again. Doesn't mean I never left God, no. I went to church all the time. I read my Bible. I did the Christian thing. But had I served or walked in his plan, not really. I was still into my plans thinking that was his. So don't let that... Let's lose sight of that. So don't lose sight of God's plan B. Um, just do what Mary did. Just think of what Mary said. And think about how she responded. I am the Lord's servant. Let it be unto me what you have said. Let's say that today. Let's look at that. Because sometimes it's very important that you want to know that that plan B or C or D, that you understand the words that Mary spoke, you can too that you don't have to lose sight of your plans that God has for you. Or if you knew what they were, go back to them. 
I had a friend of mine who always felt that he could not go back to God because of some ungodly thing that he did. Well, I know what he did. It wasn't. I mean, it was wrong. But if you repent and you ask God to forgive you, he is gracious and just to forgive, right? He doesn't hold it over your head like maybe someone else did, like a family member, a neighbor, or like the town of Nazareth would have. He doesn't hold those things over you. He helps you. So remember this. You are highly favored of God. You can say that to somebody too. They'll say, hey, how you doing? I'm highly favored of God. That might freak them out a little bit. They might look at you strangely. But if they're like one of us who's been here today, they'll say, yeah, me too. The Lord is with you. The Lord is with you too. The Lord is with me. So those plans that you had left or that you feel are defining you that are not God's plan, don't let it. Let it develop you. I believe that plan B and God wants us to have those things that will birth extraordinary things in us. So if you hold on to what Mary had, that she was highly favored, then it's going to give you courage because you're highly favored. If you know that God will for you and that he empowers you to live a great life for him, then you will trust in him for your future. And just like Mary, you can find God's plan B, uh, basically, which can give birth to something, something great, something extraordinary.